It turns out breathing is really important. It's not overrated. It's not overrated. I uh, I once heard an elderly fellow say that the secret to life was to keep breathing. Um, so we have spent the last week uh, with great concern about breathing. Now most of us on a daily basis don't really think about breathing all that much. Anybody here in the last week uh, take note of your own breathing and how amazing it is? If you, if you got dunked under the pool and were drowning or something, you might have. But it's just something we don't think too much of. Why do we not think of it too much? It's just kind of automatic. What? Not much we can do about it. Well, there's not much we can do about it, but we kind of take it for granted, don't we? It's it's happening all the time. And uh, but God gives us all these things that we see in nature and everything about our body for uh, instructional purposes. The heavens declare the glory of God, speaking day after day. Everything's talking to us all the time. Most of us were oblivious. Most of it we're oblivious to. Well, this week we became unoblivious to breathing because of our little grandson that was born with underdeveloped lungs. And I'm going to tell you a lot more about his specific circumstances. Uh, but first, let me uh, give a run-up to something Jesus says here. We're going to be in John six. And what we're going to get to is, is Jesus saying in John 6, 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. Now, as you might recall from a couple months ago, this word spirit is the Greek word pneuma. Pneuma in Greek means spirit. It also is the word for breath. And it also is the word for wind. You might recall a couple months ago we talked about John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3 when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and Nicodemus is confused about the whole being born again thing so so that you could gain understanding, Jesus tells him you can't see with understanding uh, unless you're born again. And they have this, how can that be? And Jesus says, you know, you see the pneuma, the wind, you see the pneuma, but you don't, you, know, so you see the effects of the pneuma, you don't see the pneuma, uh, and the Spirit's the same way. You see the effects of it, but you don't see it. Later in John 3, he says, I'm talking to you about Spirit, and the reason I can talk to you about Spirit is because I see, not just with understanding, but I've seen with my own eyes, because I came from heaven. So Nicodemus got a lot more than he was bargaining for. He came to talk about the signs. And Jesus says, what this sign's actually telling you is that uh, I'm God. And you need to believe in me that I'm God. And that's a matter of spirit, pneuma. Well, breath, wind, is a matter of, is a picture of spirit. Something that's real and it has impact. But uh, we can't see it with our eyes. Well, it's the spirit who gives life. The Old Testament's the same way, actually. Uh, There's a word for breath. It's also a word for wind. It's also a word for life. It's ruach. We have some wind chimes on our back porch. 
that our niece gave to us because uh, we sponsored her on an Israel trip. And uh, every time the wind blows, it's a reminder of Ruach because she put this verse on there of Ruach because when we were when we were uh, in Israel, uh, our guide made a big point of that that Ruach is uh, is a Hebrew word for wind, and every time the wind would blow, uh, George, our guide, would stop and he would say, "God is here," because the wind is a reminder of Ruach. We have a lot of reminders of God here in our locale. We should embrace it. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit. They are life. There's some of you who don't believe. So let's do a run up to how Jesus gets to this point. Here from John chapter 6. Now, John chapter 6 uses the word life a large number of times. Verse 27 Do not labor for the food which perishes, but the food which endures to everlasting life. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Verse 40, everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Verse 47, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Verse 50, 151, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Verse 53, if you don't eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Verse 57, as the living Father sent me, and as I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Verse 58, he who eats this bread will live forever. Verse 63, it's the Spirit who gives life. What do you think this passage is about? (laughs) Now all these words, living, life, they're all derivatives of the word zoe. We get our word zoology from this word. And this is, this is one of the things that's somewhat confusing about translations because life is often a translation not of zoe, but of psuche. We get our word psychology from it. Psuche is, uh, shows up in the Bible all the time, and half the time it's translated life. And the other half of the time, it's translated a different word. Anybody know what it is? Psuche. Soul. Yeah, half the time it's life, half the time it's soul. How do the translators decide which one it's times, how to, whether it's life or soul? It's whether they're trying to slant it towards salvation or not. If they're trying to slant it towards... You, this is this is something to figure out if you're really saved or not. They say so. 
the rest of the time they say life. I'm telling you, it ought to always say life. And this Zoe, if we were if we were putting a more, more uh, robust translation, we would say something like life quality or fulfillment or something like this. Because Zoe never refers to whether you're that's pasuke. Uh, there's another word for life, bios. We get our word biology from it, and bios is like more like our what do you when you meet somebody and you hey I'm I'm Jim I'm Fred oh okay what do you do? That's bios. What's your life? What's your activity in life? So, but the breathing life is pasuke, and the zoe is whether your life's fulfilling or not. And that's what we're talking about here, having a fulfilling life. Is everybody he's talking to in this passage breathing? Are we concerned about whether they're breathing? We're not concerned about that, right? What are we concerned about? Whether you're living. We kind of get this. What, what, what do, in our everyday vocabulary, what do we typically hear the phrase, man, that's really living? What does that usually refer to? Fast sports car. Fast sports car, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what? Having a good time. Yeah, what kind of good time? Usually the more debauched it is, the greater somebody says, man, that's really living. Now, why would we say that? Because everybody knows that uh, self-destruction brings about fulfillment. <laughs> it's the way we think. So we're talking about here in this passage how to have a fulfilled life. That's what this passage is about. And you notice some of the time it says life and some of the time it says eternal life. And the, all we're talking about is degrees of the same thing. Now, I'm just going to review for a minute the uh, lesson from a couple months ago. I know you guys have all listened to this multiple times and have it memorized, but just in case. Um, this whole idea of life, zoe life, eternal life, life to the age uh, is what, what that means, uh, has to do with three things, and, it's, and it parallels physical life. Uh, physical life is a gift, right? We all just showed up. If you had children... The, ch- the child can't take any credit for their uh, advent on this earth. It's just a gift. And life is relationship. If, you, if you're born and somebody deposits you in the local ditch and there's no interaction between you and another person, what's going to happen? You're going to die, right? You have to have relationships to live. And life is mostly about relationships. Life is a gift. Life is relationships. And life is a reward. Or not. Depending on what. What's the main thing that determines whether your life is a fulfilling reward? Your perspective. Your choices that you make. And pretty much irrespective of circumstances, who are usually the best people at self-destruction in, a, in, a, in our society? Who, who do the best job at destroying themselves? The ones with the most resources to do it. Yeah, right, the rich people. You remember Ann Nicole Smith, someone who was not rich and then became immensely rich? 
she just lasted a few months before she totally flamed out in self-destruction. And the response from many was, that was really living. She was famous for a little while. Oh boy. Okay, but Jesus is talking about a different kind of life here. And in fact, in this passage we'll see, he uses the phrase multiple times, and I will raise him up on the last day. And you'll never die. So this is a life that actually compounds forevermore, not just a flame out. So life is a gift, it's a reward, it's a relationship. Uh, We looked at uh, the gift in John 3. As the Son of Man is lifted up, so the... uh, Sorry, as the serpent in the wilderness was lifted up, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, so that whoever believes might have eternal life. That's just a gift. serpent in the wilderness was lifted up because people were bitten by snakes. If they would just have enough faith to look... The venom wouldn't kill them. A picture of the sin of Adam in our bodies. If we have enough faith to look at Jesus, we have the free gift of eternal life. It's a gift. Later in that passage, he talks about the deeds of people. That people love the darkness rather than the light. Well, that's a choice. And if we live in the darkness, we're going to get the reward of darkness, which is condemnation. Not, not, Not belonging to God, but the experience of what our life becomes. You know, you can, as parents, do everything for your child and they can still make bad decisions. And some, some people get the gift of life and in bad circumstances they turn out fine. And if we get the reward of life by walking in the light, that's the reward of life. And in John 17, we looked at um, Jesus saying, and this is eternal life to know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. It's a relationship. So all these things are bundled up in this passage that's going to end up with, it's the Spirit who give life, the flesh profits nothing. Let's just look at the passage. Let's start in uh, verse 22, John chapter 6, verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into boats and came to Capernaum. Now, just to give you a little geographic thing here, the lake of the, the Sea of Galilee here is only about five miles wide and ten miles long or something like that, or less. And T- Tiberias is just on the west side. It's still there today. Uh, Capernaum is just on the north side. You can go to the ruins today. And the other side is over here where the Gentiles are. There's a Decapolis city called Hippus over here. This is where the, demonia, the demoniac was in the Decapolis city. Okay, so west is Tiberias, north is Capernaum. So this boat ride wouldn't be very long. But they're kind of scooting around looking for Jesus. Uh, verse 25, And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they, came to, they said to him, Rabbi, where do you, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, because you, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Now this word saw is the word edo. 
When we looked at John chapter 3, there's a play on see here. There are two different kinds of seeing. Edo is see and understand. And horao is see with your eyes. And this is Edo, see and understand. Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, I, Edo, I see and understand your signs and that you've come from God. And Jesus says, actually, you cannot see and understand, Edo, unless you're born again. And later in John 3, Jesus says, the reason I know all this is because I see Horao, I see these things, I see the Spirit because I'm from heaven. Well, these people saying, we see and understand the signs. And he said, no, you actually didn't uh, because you... um, Did I screw that up? Yeah. Not because you saw and understand the signs. You didn't see and understand. But because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set His seal on Him. They said to Him, Well, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him who He sent. Therefore they said to Him, What sign will you perform then that we may see and understand, Edo, and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven. Who gave them bread from heaven? God. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. You actually have manna right here in front of you. Who is it? Me. Yeah, Jesus. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Zoe. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And who who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen, harao, this is not the sea with understanding, this is the sea with your eyes, me, and yet do not believe. Why didn't they believe? They didn't see with understanding. Yeah. All that the Father gives me, all, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, But the will of him who sent me, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. What is raising up on the last day overcoming? Physical death, right? So this life is something you can have now because you can believe in Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus and make the decisions that Jesus wants you to make and walk in the light and have Zoe now and when you're raised up on the last day it just compounds on. The Jews, and then we have a shift now and we're shifting to the synagogue in Capernaum. We know that from um, the uh, end of this passage. Uh, 
It says all these things Jesus taught while he was in the synagogue in Capernaum. So he's got this interaction with the crowd and then he shifts to kind of the stuff he said in Capernaum because what he says to the crowd starts reverberating around. And what John is doing now is he's going to keep this this conversation up as we go on. So then the Jews complain about him because he says, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. When you see Jew in the New Testament here, it's not talking about an Israelite. It's talking about a particular subset of Israelites, those from a particular place, which is Judea. Yeah, the Jew is from Judea. So these are the people from the south. Remember, we're up here in the north with the Babylon, the people who came back from Babylonia, uh, the Babylonian captivity later brought their synagogues with them, their, their uh, studying of the Torah, uh, which had developed in Babylon. If, if you're 15 years old, you know the entire Old Testament by heart. If you're a male, you know big chunks of it if you're a female. And this is, so now the Jews who are the, who are the guys who came back earlier, they came back from the captivity earlier and they have more status in the country. They're coming up and checking Jesus out and they're complaining. And what are they complaining about? He's, because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. Why would they complain about that? Well, no, no, it does make sense. They understand completely what he's saying. What's he saying? He came from heaven, so what? He's making himself equal with God, right? And, and they have this whole thing, we've got to protect God. Really, they're protecting their own power, we find out at the end of the story. But they, this is blasphemy to them. So he's, and they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we ado? We see with understanding that's a father and a mother. Did they ado? Not really. They did not. How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So since they're not coming to him, what's he telling them? They haven't done heard and learned from the Father, right? Uh, he's given them, it's a pretty insulting because the Jews consider that they are the godly people who know most about the Father. And they're here protecting His name. Yahweh, the name of Yahweh. you got to protect Yahweh's name. You're blaspheming Yahweh. Well, that's actually my dad and you don't know him. Because if you knew him, you'd, knew me, you'd know me. Verse 46, Not that anyone has seen the Father. Seen here is again... Uh, Harao, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Jesus is saying what? I've seen him with my own eyes. How, how could he do that? Came from heaven. This is going to make the Jews happy or sad? They're getting happier. Or is... Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Zoe to the end of the age. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. Now, the people came, and they wanted manna in the wilderness, right? They said, we got manna in the wilderness. Why would they say that? Why would they say, hey, Moses fed us manna. What is it Jesus said? You're chasing me because what? You fed us, right? And so what do they do and come and say? Keep it up. 
We like this free food deal. Moses fed us in the wilderness. Now, let's just think about what Moses did in the wilderness. Uh, How did the whole manna thing come about? They were complaining. Right, they were complaining. And Jesus gave a manna to them as a test. Did they pass or fail? They failed. How all did they fail the manna test? They gathered too much on the sixth day, right? And Jesus and God says at the end of all this, you tested me ten times. And this is one, you know, one of the things that they did. They, they said, yeah, hey, we're complaining. All right, I'm going to give you this and test you. They, they collected too much. What else did they do that they failed that test? Yeah, they still complain. Like, we're sick of this stuff. <laughs> I mean, how many different how many different recipes do you, can you make out of this same thing? We want meat, and not only that, they said, "Man, back in Egypt, we had meat in the pot. Remember the onions? God, we wish we were back in Egypt." Now, what did they say when they were in Egypt? God, please get us out of Egypt. We're slaves. It's too hard to work. We work on work, work, work. We're slaves. Get us out of here. And then God gets them out. What do they say? God was, yeah, we had it made in Egypt. And when they get to the Red Sea and God traps them there, what do they say? Was there not enough graves in Egypt? You could bring us out here to die? We could have lived a few days longer if we would have stayed back. And then they bring the quail and they, go, and they gorge themselves with quail and then get botulism. So the people here are chasing an illusion. Are they saying, hey, we want to be like our fathers who were always unhappy with whatever they had and wanted more so that they could be chastised like this? Is that what they're saying? What they're kind of saying is, what have you done for me lately? What are you going to do for me now? You did that. Now what are you going to do? Verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. How did it go for them? They're dead. What am I offering you? Raise you up on the last day. I'm offering you the life that is that life. Resurrection life. When can we live resurrection life? Now. We can live it now. How? Spirit. Because the Spirit is life. See how all this is building? I'm the bread of life. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, verse 50, that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? what What are they thinking? Yeah, is cannibalism? Is he going to kind of lop off one of his arms? or what, What's he talking about? This doesn't make any sense to us. Why didn't it make any sense to him? They don't see with understanding. So he's talking spirit. Then Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Is Jesus making it easier for him or harder? Why does he do that? Isn't God obligated to make this easy for us? 
Or is it easy? What's the fundamental problem here? They just don't have eyes to see. Yeah, you start to him who 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 has little. What he has will be taken away, and to him who has much, more will be given. A little bit of faith is all it takes, and God says, "Man, I'll build on that. Build on that. Build on." You don't have any faith. Well, this just doesn't work. Actually, God would be doing us a disservice if he rewarded lack of faith, right? Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So it's not just a gift, it's a reward. The way we have a reward on an ongoing basis is living this spirit life. And I'll raise him up on the last day. Same same power. Same power happens. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. By the way, this passage has been grossly misunderstood for thousands of years by the church by saying that this is all done through the instrument of communion, that actually when you take a piece of bread and drink a cup of wine, it actually turns into Jesus' blood, and this is where they get this from. Is Jesus speaking literally here? He's speaking figuratively about what? What's the whole point of this? Spirit and life. And we had the church take this wonderful spirit and life passage and turn it into one of the greatest fundraising efforts of all times. You can go to Europe and you can see the wonderful structures that were built raising money off of this. Verse 55, For my flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drink my bloods abides in me. Now we're at John 15, we're abiding. How do you abide? You abide in Christ by eating His flesh and drinking His blood. And we'll see how to do that here in a minute. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down of heaven. Not as your father ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live, Zoe, indefinitely. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So we've moved from the hillside to Capernaum. But it's the same conversation. You see the seamless message? Therefore, many of his disciples, his followers, his learners, when they heard this, says, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? literally says, who can hear it? Jesus knew, this is Edo again, see with understanding, in himself that his disciples complained about this. And he said to them, does this offend you? Are you offended by God? Is there something God's doing that's offending you? Have you ever been offended by God? I think all of us have. We'll talk about that more in a minute, perhaps. Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where He was before? What's it, why did He say that? Because that's going to offend them any more, even more. Why would going back to heaven offend them even more? Because that's not what He's supposed to do. What's He supposed to do? Yeah, bring the manna. Save them from the Romans. 
But if he goes back to heaven, and why did he go back to heaven? He says, it's better for me to go back to heaven because I can send the Spirit. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and their life. I'm not talking to you about physical things. I don't want you to eat my skin. I want you to ingest my words. The words I speak are the panuma, the breath. So now I'm going to talk to you about a little grandson. I didn't know they're going to be here, so I'm not I may not make it. <laughs> <laughs> our little grandson uh, golly I'm already breaking up when you walked in I thought oh no <laughs> little grandson was born with un- underdeveloped lungs and this is my sort of uh, third, second, third, fourth hand poor medical understanding I'm going to give you here but basically he just lungs just weren't developed enough to get enough air he was having trouble breathing and so he just wore himself out the first couple of days. And his, leg, his, his lungs just got inflamed. And he just couldn't do it anymore. He, he just ran out of gas. He couldn't breathe anymore. So they had to put him on a ventilator. What's a ventilator do? It breathes for him. And it wasn't enough. So they had to put him on a jet ventilator that breathes for him like 400 times a minute. Yes. Yes, it's just like the way it was explained to me by Micah is instead of like a balloon blowing a balloon all the way up like we do, it's just like little puffs of air. So he doesn't have to use his little lungs. Just let them rest. Let the inflammation go away. Just puff, 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 puff. Because he's got to have what? He's got to have oxygen. He's got to have air. He's got to have breath. Without breath, his little body's useless. See, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And what I realize from this is we're all in the NICU. And without the Spirit, we're just laying there useless. On a jet ventilator. And he even got to the point where he had to manually resuscitate him. Because he just couldn't breathe for himself. Now, thankfully, he's... uh, He's uh, made a miracle recovery. And we're grateful for that. But this is us. We are useless little bodies without the breath. And the breath are the words of God. And the words He's speaking are spirit. Now what's the basic message He's trying to get across to these people? What do they want? What? Food, stuff. And is it is it stuff rooted in reality? We want to be like them. Do they really want to be like them? What do they say about their fathers? What did the Jews say about the fathers? If we had heard the prophets, we would have listened and done what they said. And there's a prophet greater than Moses here, and are they listening and doing what he said? We're just like this, aren't we? How do you refuse to take the jet ventilator? How do I do this? You know what? Here's what the, here's what the Jews did in the wilderness. They 
said to Moses when Moses came and said, Hey, God sent me to deliver you. They said, Who made you judge over us? We're turning you in for what you did to the Egyptian. He had to flee for 40 years. Cost themselves 40 years. Now, worked out. Moses needed to go to shepherd school before he became a great leader. Uh, But then he came back and they said, Oh, thank you. We're going to be a slaves. We're going to get out of here. And he takes them to the Red Sea and backs them up against the sea instead of taking them along the coast. And God actually says why he does that. He says, if I take them along the coast, they'll have to fight wars. And if they have to fight wars, they'll flee back to Egypt again. Because they're not ready for that yet. So he took them to the Red Sea where they had no other options. And they said, thank you God that we have no other options and all we have to do is trust you. No. Is there not enough graves in Egypt that we have to come out here to die? When God has taken you to a place where there's no other options but to trust in Him, have you been grateful for it or complained? Maybe it's because there's a battle you're not ready to fight yet. Well, and then they got out and they didn't have uh, any water to drink. And it was fine for them to ask for water. God, you have not because you ask not. But that's not what they did. What they said was, is God among us or not? I mean, is He here or not? And how will we know if He's here or not? Whether He does what we need Him to do, the way we need Him to do it, in the timing we need Him to do it. Do you know some people who had a tragedy in their life and got mad at God because He didn't do what they expected Him to do and turned their back on Him? I'm told this is typical of skeptics or atheists. They don't actually not believe in God What they're doing is not believing in God to pay Him back for disappointing them. Are you disappointed in something? And then, they got the manna, weren't thankful for it and didn't do it the way God asked them to do it. And then they said, this isn't good enough. I once saw a TV show of a guy who was in like North, North Vietnam or someplace like that. He was uh, being oppressed by the government, which, you know, joined the club there. And he was up like in a high altitude area in the mountains, and there was a family that was keeping him alive by giving him rice. Every day he got a little portion of rice, but it, because of the circumstances, it was frozen. And he was living in this cold area. And the guy was interviewing him and he said, I just want one thing. I just want hot food instead of cold food. If I just had hot food, then I would be happy. You think that's true? Have you ever fed a child a happy meal? Did it make them happy? Have you ever had your child come to you and say, I had a really bad day today but I still remember my Happy Meal. So everything's okay. That's the message, isn't it? Pay a little extra for this toy that will last 17 seconds. And this will make you happy from now on. Mm, Well, 
Do you have the tendency to say to God, well, I appreciate what you did for me yesterday, but this is today. And what have you done for me lately? And then the spies went in. And what was there? Well, yes, giants, great big cities, stuff. But what else? Yeah, the, 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 everything God promised them and more. Where have they been for 40 years? In the desert. Almost anything would look good compared to the desert. But this wasn't just by comparison. This was the real thing. And what did they focus on? The problems. And they said, God's given us this, but it's too hard. We appreciate his efforts on our behalf, but it's just not adequate. We don't want to do the work and, and take the risk of possessing what he's given us to possess. Well, these are the words of life. And if we're going to be something other than a useless little child laying in an incubator, we have to take this spirit of these words and put them into action. Not, not to have the gift. Life's just a gift. And God will jet ventilate us to keep the gift alive. We don't have to worry about that. Children of the, Israel, the children wandering in the wilderness threw away their possession. But what did God do for them? Fed them. Kept their clothes from wearing out. Gave them water from a rock that they carried around. I mean, in our culture, we call that retiring in Scottsdale. <laughs> On Social Security. With a full 401k. Everything's provided for you. We, we, I, that, that's what supposedly we like. I don't know if they built a golf course. There's plenty of space for it. But what God wanted them to do was possess the possession. God will care for us. He'll keep us alive, you know, in the sense of the gift of life. The question is, will we possess the possession of life? And in order to do that, we have to accept whatever comes. Ask for what God... Ask and receive. Accept what comes. And walk in the the, uh, faith that God knows best. Well, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and they're life. But there's some of you who do not believe. He's talking to disciples here. And he's not talking to people who don't have the gift of faith. They obviously have the gift of life. What he's talking to is people who are not going to accept the reward of life because it just got too hard. So our challenge is to be the kind of disciples that accept this spirit in a way that allows us to walk in faith and receive the reward and the relationship of eternal life. 
Verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Again, that doesn't mean they don't have the gift of life. But it does mean they weren't walking with him. And Jesus said to the twelve, Please don't leave me. Please. I I can't be left all alone. And Jesus said to the twelve, I'm going to go find another parade to get in front of. This one isn't working out. No, Jesus said to the twelve, You want to go too? Doors open. Don't let it hit your rear end on the way out. Jesus does not coerce followers. He invites followers. But Simon Peter said, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Somebody was listening. Isn't it wonderful that the most goofiest of all the disciples, the curly of the twelve stooges, is the one that got it? Do you screw up a lot too? Well, join the crowd. So did Peter. No matter how much we screw up, it's always a new start. If that wasn't the case, Peter wouldn't have made it. Peter walked with him no more for a while too. But then he came back. Because he knew he had the words of eternal life. God, thank you for little Cooper and his life and and, uh, for preserving him. But also, thank you for the little example you gave us that the Spirit is what gives life and the flesh profits nothing. And these words that you've given, these words of chastisement to us who tend to want things our way, uh, walk away when things are too hard, uh, get disappointed because things aren't happening the way we expect them to, or always act in discontentment because we're not satisfied with the last thing, we want the next thing. God, I pray that you just help us see with understanding. And just like Simon Peter, know that there's no place else to go that's constructive. All this thing the world calls really living is actually dying in the wilderness. And I ask, Lord, that you would give us the grace of understanding, to see with understanding that we may walk in this spirit and not miss out on any of the life that you have for us as a reward And that in doing so, we may come to know you because we walk with you by faith. And in doing so, we gain that reward of knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I did better than I thought I was going to.